Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hi there, it's Laura Wasser. And if anyone knows how much divorce sucks, it's me. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces. Creating peace in families is how I lost my voice. From the top of the food chain all the way down to my very first case, which was my own divorce when I was 25. I wrote the book on divorce, or I wrote a book on divorce. It's called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, How to Divorce Without Destroying Your Family or Bankrupting Yourself. That book became a bestseller because it presented another option for ending a marriage, one that doesn't necessarily include lawyers and one that leaves more money in both parties' bank accounts and less animosity in their hearts. We created It's Over Easy, the one-stop breakup divorce resource online with the same principles in mind. So welcome to the Divorce Sucks podcast, where we talk about breaking up, getting divorced, and moving on. Never let it be said that we're promoting divorce, because we're not. In fact, today on Divorce Sucks, we're talking about fixing and strengthening romantic relationships, and there is no one better than my next guest to show us the way. She's a radio show host, an author, and the host and therapist for VH1's hit shows, Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen and Family Therapy with Dr. Jen. The key is connection. Most people don't realize how important that is, and it's so easy to neglect in this day and age. We spend a lot of time looking at our phones, looking at our screens. You know, we have demanding jobs where our bosses can reach us around the clock. We gotta take the kids to soccer practice and bar mitzvah and you know Hebrew school and church and Boy Scouts. It's like our lives are incredibly demanding. I think more so than 20 years ago because of social media because of our cell phones that we are expected to be reachable around the clock. And I think a lot of couples neglect that connection. Jen Mann is also an award-winning licensed marriage, family, and child therapist who shares relationship advice in print, online, and as a guest expert on countless other television shows, including her most recent appearance on Access Hollywood. Today, we are blessed to have her in the studio and share some relationship advice with us. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jen. Thank you. Great to be here. Tell us a little bit more. Johnny always sets these things up for me, but I like hearing it from the proverbial horse's mouth. Tell us a little bit more about you, even though I think since we went to elementary school together, <laughs> I do know a bit. We're the mishpucha, as we say in my tribe. <laughs> well, I've been a, a licensed psychotherapist for longer than I would like to admit. My uh, license is as a marriage, family, child therapist. And I also have a column in InStyle magazine called Hump Day with Dr. Jen that's a sex and relationship column that's a advice column. So people send me questions that range from extremely racy, like so racy. My editor uh, a few weeks ago was like, I don't know if we can run this. <laughs> so and I was Playboy like, forum. <laughs> but I was like, trust me. And, and she then wrote me and was like, this is like everybody's reading this column. This is one of our most read columns ever. Whatever you want, you tell us now. Like, how racy do you want to go? So sometimes it's kind of the more benign kind of relationship stuff. Sometimes it's the very hot and steamy, sexy kind of stuff. I like it. By the way, did you, you know who Esther Perel is, yes? Of course. I've actually worked with Esther before I know her. So she she was in an interview yesterday that ran in the New York Times and I was reading it. And she, like you, and I guess like Dr. Ruth years ago. I met Ru- Dr. Ruth. You guys seem to really believe, as I do, but on a much more civilian kind of a level, that, you know, sex begets sex. Sex is so important in a relationship that sure. exploring and having that kind of physical, intimate communication 
can be as important as and as a much a part of the kind of communication and therapeutic discussions that that people have. It's actually incredibly important. And sometimes after years and years of marriage, people kind of say, "Ah, you know, it doesn't matter. He's my husband. She's my wife." But it is the thing that makes your relationship different from being roommates. It's the thing that makes your relationship different from being friends. And it's such an important part of the connection that couples need. And it's very easy to take for granted. Just as you go to the gym regularly to keep your body fit, regular couples counseling can keep your relationship fit as well. We've dedicated much of the Insights blog on It's Over Easy to content about mental health care before, during, and after a breakup. And your book, The Relationship Fix, provides couples with a concentrated six-step guide to improving their relationships. If you're on the verge of a divorce or a breakup, can the steps that you've outlined, Jen, help save a marriage? They absolutely can. Here's the thing. You know, it's interesting. When I first started kind of going around the country and talking about the book, one of the early questions I got from someone was, does my husband have to read this book too in order to make change? And the answer is no, but there's a caveat. The no is, look, what what I always in, encourage people to do is inspire your partner to change. Inspire them with your change, with, you know, we operate in a system as a couple. When one person changes, it changes the whole system. Right. That said, if your partner is completely unwilling to change, ultimately it's not going to change. Right. One person can't do it alone. But oftentimes one person's change can inspire the whole system to change. You know, I often say the first season, the first episode of of couples therapy every season, I say to all of the couples, not every relationship is meant to be saved. And you see this all the time in your practice. There's, I'm sure there are couples who walk into your practice that you, that you go, I can't believe these people ever, were ever, ever married. married. Like, exactly. how is this even possible? Not every relationship is meant to work out. And a lot of the time, my job is helping people, you know, uncouple, so to speak, in a dignified way that gives respect to the history they've shared and also the children that they share. So I have a question, and I was kind of looking through the book. I haven't seen any of the shows on VH1, but tying back into the Esther Perel interview that I read yesterday in the New York Times, and she also does a a podcast. And on her podcast, she actually is in a therapeutic session with couples. And on VH1, you're actually in therapeutic sessions with couples. People have approached me and said, oh, could we do a reality show with you? Could you be on a show where you're, you know, they go through a divorce? And I've usually shied away from that. There's all kinds of problems with the attorney-client privilege. Of course. For you as a therapist, does it work when it's when it's public? Are people putting on a show? Can they really get, can they really drill down if they're, if it's being podcasted or broadcasted out it, into the world? It's such a great question. And, and the answer is Yes. I owe a lot of that yes. I owe 90% of that yes to my extraordinary producers. And when I first auditioned for this show, my executive producer, Damien Sullivan, who's the show creator, said to me, I promise you that uh, two things. I will never interrupt you when you're doing therapy, and I will make therapy the priority. We don't do fake stuff around okay. here. Okay. So that that authenticity has been enormous. And there were times where executives had come in and said, like, you know what, stop her right here. And he said, no, like, she, this is her thing. She's the therapist. She, like, you got to trust her and her process. And what I found is that 
you know, look, the first season people came on and they didn't know what was going on. I am so grateful. God bless DMX and Tashira and Angelina and Rodney and Riken and Linda and, and Charlie and, you know, all of these guys and, and women who came on the show not knowing whether it would be real therapy or not, not knowing who I was. And that first season set the stage for everything. And those people went deep. We And one of the most amazing things about the show that almost makes me feel like I'm at a disadvantage in my private practice is that, you know, for example, DMX season one, it was clear that his relationship with his mother, who he was estranged from, he had not spoken to her for, I think it was like eight years or something, that that woman was physically abusive with him, emotionally abusive with him. That was impacting his relationship with Tashira. Yes. And I was able to say to my producers, we got to bring that woman in. They scoured the country. They found her. They they were able to help me bring her in to do work that was repaired. To this day, when I talk to DMX, he says to me, I owe you my life. I wouldn't have a relationship with my mother if it wasn't for you. And that's been incredibly healing for me. And it's opened the door for me to have a relationship with my father. So I have an advantage and resources that I have with my producers and on my show that I don't get to have in my private practice. There are so many times in my private practice where I'm like, man, if I could just bring that dad in or if I could just bring that ex-boyfriend right. in and talk to him. And on the show, I get to do that, right. which is amazing. Do people ever say to you, wait a minute, we need to go back. We can't put that part on. The only time that has come up is for legal issues. Right. Like right. We, I had a, I've had a couple sessions where someone has shared information right. about a family member. There's one person I can think of in, in particular, actually two in particular that come to mind right away, where I felt like it was the missing link for the viewer to understand why this person behaved that way, but we weren't able to for legal reasons. Got it. And do you think that people heal differently when they're part of a broadcasted show? Better or worse, irrelevant, but differently. I think that when they first come in, they are um, more resistant to opening up. But I also think the culture we've created on the show where people, people dig deep. People... You know, look, season one, DMX was sobbing in my arms repeatedly. Right. And I think it set the stage for everyone to go, wow, the culture here is we go deep. Right. And so it encouraged them to do that. And I think on some level, I, and I remember one person in particular, I felt like he wouldn't have opened up had he not seen everyone else open up and kind of gone, wow, like I kind of got, if I want to be part of this experience, I got I got to step up. Okay, so back to the six. So this yeah. is the, tell us the first two steps. Well, I, what I really wanted to do with this book was I get a lot of emails, I'm sure you do, and, and a lot of posts on social media saying, I wish I could come in and do a session with you. Right. But I'm across the country. But I, <clears> you know, I, I can't afford a plane ticket. But, you know, I there are a lot of that very valid reasons. And what I wanted to do with this book is create a book that would be like about a year and a half of therapy with me. Okay. Like if instead if you can't come to couples therapy with me, you can read this book and get that experience. And so what I really looked at is what are the core issues that couples need to know and understand? And I narrowed it down to six issues. Okay. One is connection. The second is fighting fairly. Okay. The third is negotiation. Okay. The, the fourth is your family of origin, your childhood, looking at childhood trauma, even if you think you don't have any. Right. Then the fifth is 
forgiveness and making amends, and the six is sex, which tends right. to be everybody's favorite chapter. That is my, that yeah. was my, look at all this. I have all the tabs in the book, everybody listening, and they're all most on the end part with the sex. I've got all these questions about the sex, but I, like I everyone, it. we got to work through the other stuff. Okay. <laughs> so, and, and you know that on the Divorce Sucks podcast, we talk a lot about creating connection and communication. So tell us how, how that works in step one. And look, the, the key is connection. Most people don't realize how important that is, and it's so easy to neglect in this day and age. We spend a lot of time looking at our phones, looking at our screens. You know, we have demanding jobs where our bosses can reach us around the clock. We've got to take the kids to soccer practice and bar mitzvah and, you know, Hebrew school and church and Boy Scouts. It's like our lives are incredibly demanding, I think more so than 20 years ago because of social media, because of our cell phones that we are expected to be reachable around the clock. And I think a lot of couples neglect that connection. And there was a great study that came out by um, M. Gary Newman. And what he did was he looked at men who cheat and women who cheat. He did one of the largest studies. And what he found, which I was shocked when I read, and it completely has changed the work that I do, is that over 90% of the time, 92% for men, 93% for women, the number one reason why people cheat is because of either a lack of connection or a combination of a lack of emotional connection and sexual connection. So it, it's not that they encounter someone necessarily who's hotter, who swings from the chandeliers, but when that connection in the relationship is not there, people are more vulnerable to making bad choices and less invested in the relationship. Yes. And couples need to spend the time, and I go through very specific steps in my book that are research-based about what it is, and even simple things like spend 30 minutes a day. Start with 20 Work up to 30 minutes a day where you are not on your phone, where you're not doing screen time, where you're face-to-face talking about your day. How did your day go? Where you're actually noting what was important to my partner, following up on it. Hey, how did that meeting go with your boss? That kind of stuff, people don't realize that's emotional money in the bank. Right. I like that. That sounds really hard, 20 minutes. I, it is phone. for most people in yeah. this day and age. It really <laughs> is to kind of turn off your phone and not answer well, your phone. Well, because we're yeah. multitaskers. And I think yep. what happens is we're trying so hard to get everything that we need to do out of the way so that we ultimately can do something that we never actually have time to do or remember how to do it. Totally. The other day we were driving, we, my boyfriend and I went to, we had to go to two concerts on Sunday night, K-Rock Acoustic Christmas and then Stevie Wonder had a house full of toys concerts. So we went to both and M- Matt was driving and he said, do you realize that when I'm driving, you're on your phone the entire time? And, and I yeah. said, yeah. And he said, and when you're driving, I'm never on my phone. And I said, well, I'm never driving. But I started <laughs> thinking about it because then somebody came into my office yesterday and he said, my wife said one of the reasons that we're splitting up is that when I drive... She's talking to me about things that are going on and what we see on the road. And when she drives, I'm on my phone the whole time. And I said, God, that's horrible. (laughs) I can't imagine anyone would do that. You're a dick. That's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure that in that relationship, it was symbolic and that that extends. You know, it's it's a microcosm of how we function the relationship. and. He he wasn't willing, obviously, since he's in your office getting a divorce, to change his. Behavior no, he actually he was around. willing. That was one of. I yeah. mean, he, that was one of the things he said that he's going to have to do. So I yeah. got to tell him to read this book because if he puts it away for twenty minutes and then works up to thirty, that even might be yeah. easier. Okay, so then let's talk about fighting fair. How do you do that when there's when there can be a lot of resentment that's built up? How do you yeah. kind of check yourself? Before you wreck yourself. Well, first of all, one of the things I I, want to say is that, and you mentioned about couples therapy. Mm -hmm. And 
I am a big fan of people getting into couples therapy early on in the relationship. I Before things are there. wrong, when yeah. it's still, the bloom is still yeah. on the rose. I wrote a, a, a column for In Style Magazine for my hump day with Dr. Jen column about there's a new trend, especially with millennials, of getting into couples therapy early on, even the, within the first six months of the relationship, that I think is brilliant. I also recommend everybody do one year of weekly therapy because what that provides is the ability to have insight about how you're functioning in the relationship, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what your triggers are that helps in the relationship. So when it comes to fighting fairly, if you have no idea you've been triggered right. and then you're justifying how you've behaved, you're going to have gigantic problems. I like, like that. And, and by the way, we talk about this a lot. You go to the gym, those of you who are listening – probably more than once a week. You get into a habit or a routine of doing it to keep you healthy. Why would you not do that? Less time, likely less money than a gym membership once a week with a counselor so that you kind of learn how to do it so that when you do fight, you can fight fair. Absolutely. And, you know, look, I have lists of rules that people need to follow when it comes to fighting fairly in in the book you know everything from no name calling you know some of the obvious you know raising your voice you know all that sort of stuff but what's really even more important than that is i'm a huge fan of the timeout people think of it for kids i don't love it for kids i love it for grown-ups and it's really important because what happens is that when we are triggered when we when we have been triggered we switch where in our brain we're operating. We start to operate from a more primitive place. Right. And we say things we don't mean. We're impulsive. We we do a lot of harm and damage to the relationship. And, and nothing gets accomplished. When you're that hot and you're having a conversation, you're only going to offend each other, upset each other. And you have to abandon all hope of having a rational, reasonable conversation that will impact change. So I am a big fan of taking a time out. Discuss it in advance. Hey, let's make an agreement that if either one of us gets too hot, we're going to take a timeout. That timeout is not abandoning the relationship. It is, and you have to give an end date to it. Right, hey, where you I'm come gonna, back. Yeah, right. I'm going to take two hours. I'm going to go for a drive. I got to cool off. I'll be back in, in two hours. I'll meet you in the kitchen so we can finish the conversation. Same feelings and sentiments about um, texting or emailing things immediately. Yes. I mean, first of all, tone oh. is very difficult in texts and emails, but certainly getting a text or an email or having a conversation, then quickly writing something. I generally tell clients, stay off the phone. Stay yeah. off the phone, say it in person, or take a time out, as you say, after you've written it, and go back and look at it again. And also... It doesn't count if you're taking a timeout, but you're texting your partner. You're such an asshole. That's I can't not a believe you that. That's folks. not a timeout. They, it starts over. Every time you text, the timeout starts over. Like if, if they said, I need two hours, you just started the clock again. Right, right. Okay. And so then that will then, I, I, I imagine, dovetail nicely with step three, which is negotiate. And look, you know a lot about this as an attorney, but what most people don't realize is that the first part of a, any relationship is the honeymoon stage. It's that, oh, I like pizza, you like pizza. Oh my God, we have so much in common. <laughs> We're so perfect together. All you can see is how you're alike and you know how connected you are and how amazing it is and the sex and the endorphins are going and all that sort of stuff, the oxytocin and you're feeling bonded and connected. It generally takes anywhere from six months to two years. Usually 18 months is the is the sweet spot for most couples before that honeymoon is over. And right. sometimes people say, well, why can't you make the honeymoon last forever? Yes, romantically, courting-wise, you can make that last forever. But when it comes to the actual development of a relationship, the next stage is negotiation. 
Okay. Negotiation is how are we going to handle if we disagree about where we're going to take a vacation? How do we handle anger in our relationship? How do we handle things when we, but one of us feels really strongly about something and so does the other? And it's about how do we work through differences and conflicts? And most couples don't realize it. And when they hit this stage, a lot of, a lot of couples either break up or it becomes such an animosity-filled relationship right. that they never move past it and then they get into a lot of trouble. But it's really about learning to listen to the other. And I, I talk a lot about seek to understand. Okay. You you say in your book, which is something I say often, every relationship is, is a bargain, is a bargain for exchange, is a contract. Yep. And if you realize that going in and then you can get to this negotiation stage, I think you – and again, if you are – if you're able to do it as a result of having a really good therapeutic process and, and therapist to work with, then you're better able to do it. And sometimes sometimes the deal changes. I say all Absolutely. the time, if a very wealthy, older man marries a very beautiful, younger, perhaps unemployed woman, there's a deal there. And there Absolutely. may be a lot of things that go into that. Now, if man loses all of his money or woman, woman loses, loses her, her look, you have to change the deal. It's not that the deal's off, but there may be a little bit more give and take in that negotiation. And of course, lots of other things come into play there. If you have children, if somebody's mother comes to live with you, if somebody dies, if somebody has to go live elsewhere because they're been sent overseas for a job, all of these things change. If you know how to cope with them as a result of being able to effectively communicate, fight fair, and negotiate, you're in good shape, yes? And, uh, yes, and the other part of that is that in that evaluation of, okay, what he's bringing is his money, what she's bringing is her looks, is that is the value you're bringing to the relationship. So if your value that you're bringing changes, you need to find other value you can bring to the relationship. Yes. So perhaps that man who maybe was a bit of an asshole and she put <laughs> up with it because of the perks – he now no longer has his money. He needs to find way, more ways to maybe meet her emotional needs that he hadn't thought of before. Too late, Baldy. Yeah. <laughs> um, is is now is the way is that way of thinking is that jaded? Because I think it's just realistic, and I think we're calling it what it is. But people have said to me, "That's so unromantic. You're so jaded." But I want to know it, from you, a therapist, not a lawyer, because of course I'm jaded. But what about you? What do you it, think? It, it is. It has been studied in evolutionary psychology. It is one of the factors in the relationship, not the only factor. And like we we're talking about before, look, if you're creating the connection, right. the connection is king. The connection can override almost anything. He loses his money, but they have an amazing connection. They're going to survive it. She loses her looks. They have an amazing connection. They're going to survive it. But if they don't have that connection and it's purely that barter, then yeah, absolutely. Who else has tried FabFitFun? It's a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. It retails for $49.99, but it always has a value of over $200. The box has skincare from Glam Glow, Kate Somerville, Dr. Brandt, Anthropology, and Juice Beauty. Fashion items from Vince Camuto, Bear Paw, Free People, Michael Stars, Trina Turk, and Millie. Beauty products from Tarte, Moroccan Oil, Beauty Blender, Oscar Blondi, and Zoya. That winter box is available now, but sign up fast because they sell out faster than you can imagine. You really won't want to miss this box. There were these amazing over-the-knee socks that I got and these cool Bear Paw gloves. This winter box is amazing. 
Check out www.fabfitfun.com and use the code DIVORCE at checkout to save another $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. Again, that's fabfitfun.com. Use the code DIVORCE and get a value of over $200 for $39.99. Remember, ladies, you deserve to treat yourself. Alexa isn't the only one with breaking news. Make sure to hang around at the end of this podcast for the latest breaking headlines on the AP News Minute. Jessica Graff here from Big Brother 19 and winner of The Amazing Race Season 30. But more importantly, I'm a new wife and I have a baby on the way. I will be sharing this journey with all of you on my new podcast called Now What? Each week, I'll be getting personal, answering your questions and asking some of my own. So don't forget to subscribe to my new podcast with the direct message in Podcast One called Now What? Available on Podcast One or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Divorce Sucks. And even though it does, we also believe in relationships. In my practice as a family law attorney, I've noticed that there's something about sitting face to face with an attorney in an office that enables people to come to grips with the very idea of divorce or to reconsider that idea. Whether you're consulting with a divorce attorney or considering navigating your own divorce on itsovereasy.com, divorce is not something people come to easily. Those of you contemplating the future of your relationship are most likely willing to do what you can to save it. And today, we brought in the big guns to help you with the fight. She's the award-winning psychotherapist and TV show host, Dr. Jen Mann, who is the author of two best-selling parenting books and InStyled Magazine's Hump Day column on relationships. Her latest book is called The Relationship Fix, and we've been talking about her six fantastic steps to hopefully fixing a relationship. You say in your book, I love this line, the ability to be flexible and accommodating is crucial to the well-being of a relationship. There has to be give and take for both people to feel respected, cared about, and loved. Absolutely part of it. Absolutely keeping and fine-tuning that deal. Okay, so this is, I want to talk about the fourth one, which is work through your childhood, because you say your family of origin and how it has affected you certainly leads into, like you were saying with DMX and his mom, tell us a little bit about that and also how people may be really resistant and say, no, I'm here now. I don't want to talk about what happened then and how you kind of get them to really go back and see how, like you said earlier, even if you don't think that there's some trauma or background, there's going to be something. Tell Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Every season of my show, we do what what we call the childhood trauma group therapy session, and where I have all the couples in a room doing group therapy talking about that turning point moment, that history in their childhood, what what it is that got them where they are. And most people don't realize, because a lot of the time people say, well, I didn't have any trauma. You know, I wasn't beaten. I wasn't raped. I wasn't molested. I, I went to El like, Rodeo. I wasn't neglected. <laughs> Exactly. I was the student body president. <laughs> exactly. So everything must be perfect in my life. But what most people don't realize, and I go through, I talk about kind of the major traumas that we tend to traditionally think of. But then I talk about the more common, more subtle traumas, anything from a parent uh, getting a divorce, a parent suffering with depression, just feeling not understood by your parents. Most people don't realize how that impacts us. Our parents, our relationship with our parents is the foundation and the template with which we do all of our future relationships from. So if you grow up in a home where you don't feel safe, where your anticipation is my emotional needs are not going to be met, you bring that into your relationship. And that's what you tend to 
not only expect, but oftentimes create in your relationship. In addition to that, what happens is the unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between past, present, and future. It's always trying to heal old wounds in current time. Okay. What we tend to do is if you sit down and you make a list of all of your parents' positive qualities and all of your parents' negative qualities, and then look at your relationship, like with Matt, for example, you will probably find there are a lot of commonalities. Yes. What tends to happen is that our partner triggers our old wounds because our unconscious is always seeking to heal that past in the present. So let's say you had an emotionally unavailable dad, a dad who was a workaholic. Wouldn't most people wouldn't think, oh, that's a trauma. But on some level, it is. It may be a more subtle trauma. And then you pick a guy who, let's say, loves to gamble. And he's busy at the track. He's busy online. He's emotionally unavailable. Our mind, what it does, because we, children are egocentric. Children think that everything is about them. That's not narcissism. Right. That that's is why normal we, development. That's why we tell kids, even though it seems so obvious, if your parents are getting divorced, this has nothing to do with you. It's this not has to your do fault. with us. We love you. And so yeah. many people have said to me, well, why would my kid ever think it was his fault? I they mean, always do. She cheated on me. Yeah. But again, they do because they yeah. are, what do you call it? If it's not narcissism, they're it's, self-absorbed. It's, they're... It's, it's being egocentric okay. and that's appropriate developmentally. So what tends to happen is that kids go, oh, I must not be lovable. There must be something. Mom and dad must be getting a divorce because I'm not a good kid. Or dad is unavailable. He's he's at the office because he doesn't really want to be with me because I'm not that lovable. We internalize that and we take that to our relationship. What happens is that unconscious mind goes, okay, you're unlovable, but... If you can get him to stop gambling, if you can get him to show up for you, it will prove your dad wrong. So let's put all our eggs in this basket. Let's work really hard with this unavailable guy so we can heal that wound and know that finally we're lovable. Our dad loves us. Exactly. (laughs) And the problem is nine and a half times out of ten, you've picked that person that's unavailable and they're not going to be available because they're not capable because of their own childhood wounds. Oh my God. So it it gets, it's quite complicated, but when we're both doing the work, when we're both aware, actually we can heal each other. And I do believe that the flip side of this is the number one way that we can heal is in a relationship. There are certain wounds that we cannot heal without being in a relationship. In your book, there's a chapter heading that's stop in the name of love. 10 things that prevent healthy negotiations. So I'm going to go through the 10 things and tell, comment on, we don't have to comment on all of them, but the things that really seem to be things that you see over and over again. There's blame. Which, which is a total barrier. Yes. You, you, you start blaming and you shut down the conversation. Defensiveness on the other end of that. S- same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're so busy protecting yourself, you're not going to hear what your partner has to say. Which also is then reactivity. When you are emotionally charged and worked up, you're not going to have a reasonable, rational conversation that's going to result in anything good. Being overly focused on the other person. Own it, folks. Exactly. Well said. (laughs) Unwillingness to compromise. And that's where the quote I spoke about before, the ability to be flexible, accommodating, is crucial to the well-being of a relationship. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And also, don't forget about arguing over pseudo issues. Yes. You know, arguing over, you know, where the cereal goes or something like that. It's not usually about the cereal. Get over it. Yeah. Avoidance. That's what, if you're avoiding, you're not going to have the conversation. It's not going to get resolved. Judging harshly. 
if your relationship is not a safe place for people to talk about what's really going on for them and they feel like they're going to be judged, it's, you're never going to resolve anything. And then this is number 10, and I see this a lot, assuming the worst, which is like, why are you going right there? Why are we going to assuming the worst? Let's see what we can do. Assuming the worst is like a, a fait accompli already. Exactly. And also, don't forget about arguing over details. This is yes. one of my personal favorites because I would say... of the couples who come into my office do this. Well, because I think they're looking for something else to kind of deflect what they really want to, what they're really upset about. But but, but it often looks like this. Honey, I came home. You were supposed to be ready at 9 o'clock. Well, you came home at 9.14 and were not ready to leave. No, I came home at 9.16. No, I came home at 9.14. Like, who gives a shit whether it was 9.14 or 9.16? Let's talk about the dynamic in your relationship and what's really going on. But couples get so stuck on those details and being right. So of those 10 things, how do we, again, we're going back to family. We're figuring out how do you then bring it back to negotiate fairly, negotiate reasonably. How do you, Jen, get those things out? Of the way. Well, come in with the desire to seek to understand. If you come from that state of mind, you're not going to be blaming. You're not going to be arguing details. You're going to be trying to focus on the other person going, okay, why are you so upset? Why did this trigger you? Why did this upset you so much? Even if I feel I'm in the right, even if I feel I've done nothing wrong, if my state of mind is, I want to understand, Laura, why it is that when I said that you got so angry, why you got so upset, what is it about your history? What is it about your day? What is it about you that that upsets you so much? Even if I think I'm in the right, I'm going to come from a totally different state of mind. Tell us about the incoming missiles. You have a lot of them. And in your book, you let people go kind of through a checklist and say, or rate them from one to 12, what are most important. There's there are a bunch of things, but there's stuff like in-laws, parents, children's friends, social media, alcohol, drugs, other compulsive behaviors. That's the gambling boyfriend. Yes. Exes, boyfriends and girlfriends, other men or women, porn, work, people pleasing, untreated anxiety. So you have the folks reading your book kind of go through this and rate them. Are there things that if they rate top, for example, I would imagine like alcohol, drugs, or other compulsive behaviors that you say, this isn't the right place for you. You have to go figure out that one first. Absolutely. And and, and I do talk about in the book on there are certain things that are just deal breakers. Right. If you have a partner who is an alcoholic or an addict and is not willing to get help, right. it's a deal breaker because there's nothing that you can do. If they're willing to go to a twelve step program, work the work the program, get a sponsor, stop drinking, do all that stuff, then great. Your relationship has enormous potential. But there are certain things that absolutely are deal breakers, especially when someone's unwilling to work on them. But that that list actually came from another session that we do, another group therapy session we do on couples therapy, which is exactly that, the incoming missile right. session, where people actually look at, okay, what pre- what prevents us from having connection? What prevents us from prioritizing our relationship? And, you know, sometimes it's, oh, you know what? I I let my mom come anytime she wants to stay with us. She can, she can be here. She's my mom. Well, you're not putting your relationship first. Your mom drives your husband crazy. Right. You keep having her over. She's getting in the way of him parenting your child. She's causing conflict. You need to prioritize the relationship. It's about looking at these things because any almost any one of those things in and of themselves isn't a problem until it becomes a problem. Right. For example, there are relationships, and I'm sure you've seen many of them, where 
people are friends with their ex and right. it's no big deal and everyone gets along and, and it's fine. But if you have an ex that has an ulterior motive, who's trying to seduce you away from your partner, who's being disrespectful or who's just taking up too much of or, your time. Or even just has boundary issues. It's just exactly. around too much. Yes. Exactly. Then it's a problem. Then it's an incoming missile. And it's important to assess in our relationship. What are the incoming missiles? And to protect our relationship better. I, I talk a lot about the couple bubble. Yes, I saw and, that. And I, and I think it's really important to protect our relationship from incoming missiles, to prioritize our relationship, to make sure. And, and look, even putting down our phones, that's part of that couple bubble. And that there are certain things that we don't share with our even our closest girlfriends. Right. You know, like she doesn't need to know that your boyfriend had, had problems having an erection the other night. Right. Like that's just embarrassing for right. her. That's private. Like you don't cross certain boundaries. Absolutely. Because it's private information. Absolutely. We're up to number five. And let's kind of get through this one because I got to get to number six because that's the sex one. But forgive and make amends. Give us a little bit about that. Look, I I think that forgiveness is overrated. And I think that people have this very kind of um, rigid idea of, oh, I have to forgive. I have to forgive. I believe it takes four things for a good apology. If you want to make amends, you need to do this. And if you're looking to accept an amend, you want to look for this. The first is remorse, truly being sorry. It's not just like that parroting the words, I'm sorry. Or how about, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Or I'm sorry that you got so hurt when that happened. That's not sorry for what you did. That's just sorry that the other person is a loser, in my opinion. you got to fix it. That's not remorse. A heartfelt apology. The second is taking responsibility. Like you said earlier, owning it. it. Being able to say, I really, I screwed up. This is what I did wrong. I get it. The fourth is recognition. Actually being willing to listen to the feelings of the other person and really understand how you impacted them. That recognition is super important. And then the fifth is remedy. It's making a plan. I cheated because uh, through Facebook. Okay, I'm willing to give you all my passwords. I'm willing to go off Facebook. Okay, I, I, I did something horrible to you because I was drinking too much. I'm willing to go to AA, 90 meetings in 90 days, get a sponsor, work the steps, have an alcohol-free home. It's actually concrete steps to making that change. Now, when it comes to forgiveness... To me, that's what forgiveness is about. But there are times where you're not going to get that. And you have to learn to let go of your anger because that anger is hurting you and eating you up. It doesn't mean you forget. It doesn't mean that you act like it never happened. You remember it, but you don't let it have the power that it had to hurt you. Can couples overcome an extramarital affair in a relationship if you have those four things? Yes. Absolutely. If you have those four things... Without doubt, I've seen it over and over and over again in my practice. But without those things, no. And I will also say, so often, we, as to the first two of those things, you know, really understanding that you have to own it and, and having that remorse, so often we're just not, we don't mean to hurt somebody else's feelings or hurt somebody else. We're just inconsiderate. I, I, I mean, this isn't, this isn't the extramarital affair one. That's not yeah. just inconsiderate. This is, I didn't put the seat down. This is, I didn't get home in time for whatever I was supposed to get. This yeah. is, I didn't call you when I arrived because I just, I was being inconsiderate. Really, yep. you do, it's easy to feel remorse for that. And it's easy to then own it and say, yeah. I f***ed up. Please, I'll do better next time. I, I came home in a, in a bad mood and I talked to you in a way right. that hurt your feelings. I, you know what? I really shouldn't have done that. 
Okay, so once you're able to get through step five, which is forgive and make amends, let's talk about step six, the good step, which is which is igniting your sex life. And, and like, I think it's probably like a good third of the book, which I really like here. <laughs> um, one, one of the chapter headings is the 10 things you need to know before you blow, kiss, lick, or have sex. And I mean, I mean, some of the things in here, and this is why they say when they, in the reviews, it's a juicy read. Don't fake it till you make it when it comes to orgasm. And then there's this big list of like kind of a, an, like a, a, a dictionary. And one of them, here's what I need to know, because I'm a little older than you, Jen. But what's a K point? What is that? Explain that to our listeners, please. It, 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 you know, Lou Paget is uh, an amazing sex therapist who enlightens us all about things that, that we wouldn't necessarily know about otherwise. And she talks a lot about the K point. And she talks about. It's on 228. Yeah. Um, she talks about, you know, like like I say in the book, I had never heard of it before the book. But that makes me feel better. It's the two small bumps that they're like about half a size of a grain of salt on either side. Not of the a chorus. grain of salt, a grain of rice. A grain of salt, grain you're not finding the cake. It's yeah. a little bigger <laughs> than that. And this is on the you woman. Need a, you need this a microscope. Is on this chick. <laughs> you need a microscope. But for a lot of women, that is a really sensitive, amazing point on either side of the clitoris. Nice. Okay. How about a U spot? Uh, this I is used... for you boys. Yeah, well, but it's Johnny. About... Are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's actually on the woman, not on the man. Yeah, it, oh, it's sorry. located sorry. between the clitoris and the vaginal opening. Okay, and, and it, it, it it a lot of the time for for women that this can be a really sensitive, amazing spot when rubbed and stimulated in just the right way. I think it's interesting, actually, that we've heard of all the male ones. I agree. The testicles, the prostate, but the female ones we've never heard. What's the the Graftenberg spot? It's the G-spot. Oh, that's the G-spot. That's right. Why is it Graftenberg? I never realized. Because he's basically, he's the dude that that discovered it and actually said... This is a good thing for women. Like, you need to know about this. I see. Okay. God bless Dr. G. Johnny, you didn't have to listen to any of that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm forced to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> so we said earlier that Dr. Jen is the author of two best-selling parenting books, and she does InStyle Magazine's Hump Day column on relationships. And it's interesting because this is a very racy column. Tell us about the recent InStyle article that you did about mismatched libidos in relationships, Jen. And look, this is a combination. I'm sure you see this in your office constantly when people are filing for divorce. I think I might say the wrong thing. I might, Usually what happens is if they come in and say... Can I guess what you say? Yeah, go ahead. I have a feeling... Just f*** him. No. No. What I say is if he's not f***ing you, he's probably f***ing somebody else. Right. And so that's what makes me kind of concerned. But maybe that's not the case. Maybe there is a down cycle, in this, as they said in that movie. Does that happen? How do we fix that? Look, I think that once p- couples get past that honeymoon stage, it's highly unusual at getting past the honeymoon stage and then you get deep into a relationship where you've got a mortgage, you've got kids, you've got soccer practice, you've got demanding jobs. It's unusual for both people to have the same drive at the exact same time. Therefore, sometimes you got to take one for the team. Right. And, and once you're doing it, it kind of feels good. So yeah, just usually, go with it. Yeah. Usually people are like, hey, why don't we do this more often? Yes. I forgot how good this feels. But usually the hump is kind of getting over kind of the energy it takes and putting in the energy and the effort. And also, if you're 
angry, if you have unresolved issues, that can really prevent you from doing it. Because anger is really one of the top reasons why people withhold sex. Really? Do you remember Absolutely. that scene from Date Night where Tina Fey has those, like, what are they called? The braces that you can take out the... Like the... For grinding your <laughs> yes. teeth at night. And she's yeah. got him in, but she's like, okay, let's do this. And she takes out yeah. this big string of saliva comes off. <laughs> I never saw that. That's perfect. Really yeah, funny. exactly. Perfect marriage thing. Anyway, um, now that we've hopefully saved at least one marriage from the big D, we can move to lighter topics like the divorce sucks interrogatories. So let's change the subject and talk about you, Dr. Jen. Okay. All right. Are you married, divorced, or single? Um, I'm in a long-term relationship. We've been together for about five years, and we practice everything I preach. That God bless Eric Schiffer, who <laughs> is the most amazing partner a woman could ever hope for, and I am divorced. Go, Eric. Okay. <laughs> and what is your favorite breakup song? Uh, I would say You've Lost That Love and Feeling. My parents wrote it, so oh. I'm biased. Oh, snap. Okay. Well, that is, but that's okay to be biased. What would you say to cheer up a friend that was going through a breakup? I would say the way you feel right now is not the way you will always feel because it, and I'm sure you see this all the time, when you're going through a divorce or a breakup, the feelings are so intense and so consuming that you feel like you're never going to feel better. And just to know that, like, there's another side of this. Right. You will get to the other side. It feels like you will be in pain forever. It feels like your life is being destroyed, but you're going to be okay. This too shall pass. Yeah. Okay. How about rom-coms? What romantic comedy could you watch on repeat? When Harry Met Sally. Yes. Oh, yeah. The best. <laughs> the best. So good. All right. The six steps to improving communication, connection, and intimacy take work. But they are easy to follow, and I wish everyone listening today luck as you decide how to apply what you've learned today with Dr. Jen Mann, either in your current relationship or in the next. Dr. Jen, thank you for sharing your relationship superpowers with us today, and also for the inside look at your latest book, The Relationship Fix. Thank you so much for inviting <laughs> me, Laura. Please tell the couples and the newly single in our audience how they can reach you. You can find me on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat, at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on Mann. Nice. So we also have a book. Dr. Jen brought us an extra. We're giving it away. Keep your eyes on our at It's Over Easy Instagram feed, and we'll tell you how you can win. It really is. I mean, you don't want mine because it's all marked up, especially the sex part of it. But <laughs> it really is quite a great book. And being on the other side of it and working with couples who are getting divorced, which, by the way, Dr. Jen also does. But we talk about that a lot on the show. And I really wanted to talk about how to maybe save a relationship. And if you can do it in six steps, then why not? At It's Over Easy, we've taken the pain out of messy divorces by giving you a way to do it amicably online. It's a revolution that we call the evolution of dissolution, and the revolution is being recorded for you every week. Don't miss a beat by tapping subscribe now, rate us, and tell us in the comments what you like and what you want to hear more about on The Next Divorce Sucks. I'm Laura Wasser, and I appreciate you listening today. There's a way to get through this, I promise. Just believe. Just believe.